The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is made by the spin off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. With the onset of COVID 19 came a huge global effort to create vaccines. An amazingly successful one, with new breakthroughs and technology and approaches that we are still at the beginning of understanding just how they might change health and medicine. Vaccines went into development all over the world, including in New Zealand, where a local company is working to develop a new approach that may use a technology developed by a Palmerston North-based company called Polybatics. The company, CVC, brings together some of the top figures in local pharmaceutical, deep tech and life science commercial enterprise. The chair of CVC is the managing director of Douglas Pharmaceuticals, and the CEO is Dr Robert Feldman, who's had a career working at Harvard Medical School, Imperial College London, founding the UK vaccine company Microscience, among other enterprises, before moving to New Zealand as executive director of Pacific Channel, and after that, his own life science consulting company. To talk the science, the journey, and vaccine research, Dr. Robert Feldman joins us now. Tenakwe, thank you for being here. Good to be here. Hey, so first up, tell us about your background uh, working overseas in commercialising life science research. How did you get into that field and you know, be in a position to be starting vaccine creation companies? Yeah, I start life in London, born and bred in London. I first trained as a doctor. I uh, um, became a consultant and professor in infection, and particularly infections in newborn babies. Um, that was at Hammersmith Hospital and Imperial College in London. And so that's where I first got uh, excited and, and quite driven by the whole field of infection. Uh, I then, overlapping with that, I developed a, a, a academic career. And that took me to places like Harvard Medical School and University of Utrecht where I, in the Netherlands where I did my PhD. And that was in infection and immunology as well. And I was particularly interested in an infection, a bacterial infection that kills newborn babies. Uh, and I was working back at Imperial College and uh, was working on a vaccine that might help these, uh, protect these, these infections. And so that's when I first got interested in vaccines. And actually, then I kind of flipped and, and turned my academic research into commercial research. And this is where I f- formed the company Microscience, which was a vaccine company. Where it worked on a whole set of vaccines. The one I was talking about for this infection called Group B strep that kills newborn babies, but also meningitis and 
typhoid and hepatitis. It had quite a broad portfolio of different vaccines to, to try and help people. That was my first company. So that's how I got into vaccines. What, what was it that attracted you to that field? Like, as, a, as an outsider, vaccines seem like this absolutely miraculous thing, being able to, you know, help to beat and remove diseases and, and, and things that have, you know, plagued humans. Uh, that they, they just seem remarkable. Yeah, well, that's, that, you know, that question's beyond me. You know, I, what makes us tick, you know, why, why do I get interested in vaccines? Why does someone else get interested in, in, in drawing wonderful drawings? Why does somebody, you know, love doing sports? I don't know, you know, what, <laughs> how, how different things drive us, but uh, certainly my gig is, is, is vaccines. I love vaccines. And tell us about how you came to be in New Zealand. What led you here? Uh, well, I could just say a plane got me here, but but uh, but which it did. But uh, this was this was during the global financial crisis, and after the Microscience, the vaccine company, I also started and run a number of other different biotechnology companies, all in the infection field. Uh, and then the global financial crisis came along, and and the UK. Uh, was really tough in the field of biotech, particularly tough. Uh, the venture capital industry was in a bad shape before the global financial crisis in the UK. And so when the GFC hit, it was terrible. And VC money, the venture capital money, is the, is the engine that drives the biotech industry, and there was no money. And at the same time, big pharmaceutical companies in the UK were disproportionately laying off people there. And so there were a lot of very skilled people chasing no money. And somebody offered me a job here in New Zealand. So I did quite a lot of homework and said, should I come? Shouldn't I come? And uh, I came. And that was uh, nearly 11 years ago. So uh, that's, uh, that's how I arrived. And and that job at uh, Pacific Channel, which is you know was a, a a great outfit that's doing a bunch of work in commercialising uh, deep tech. Tell me about the work that you did there and what it was like to be um, kind of on the other side of the company and helping to move companies along rather than start them yourself. Well, I'd done it before um, because I'd also worked for four years in venture capital. I set up and run a, a venture firm in the UK, which was a subsidiary of a, of a US firm. So I'd been on that side anyway. So that wasn't new to me, but you know it was it was great working for Pacific Channel. There was more, rather less human biotech than I had hoped there would be, or maybe even was led to believe. But so I, you know my skills maybe weren't uh, weren't used optimally because uh, you know in fact you know the, the greatest success I had was creating and and causing to exist a company called Engender, which is an ag tech company. It wasn't like, you know, and I was kind of winging it. You know, I know how to set up companies and the, I set up the structure, but uh, I found the technology, but I, you know, it's not really my true skill. So, uh, so it was a good time at, at Pacific Channel. They got me over here, it got me into the networks. And uh, after leaving Pacific Channel, I could I could concentrate on what I think I do best, and that is uh, human life sciences. Yeah, and then being here, and then seeing you, you know COVID nineteen hit the world, and the vaccine efforts start. Tell me about pulling together kind of the team that started CVC. And yeah, were you looking to kind of get back into vaccines, or was it just that there was this enormous global challenge to help try and counter? It was a year ago now, wasn't mm. it? And, and, and I think we're already forgetting what it was like to, to live through that. It's already beginning to be a bit distant memory, but we were all ignorant. 
We were all deeply ignorant. We didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, we didn't know how worried we should be, but we were all pretty worried. We didn't know just how, you know, the effects on the globe. We, 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 there were just so many questions at that point. And COVID-19 Vaccine Corporation came out of a conversation I was having with a colleague of mine uh, whose name is uh, Andy Herbert. And I think I'm right in saying he's probably the only other person other than myself in this country that has had commercial experience in the development of infectious disease vaccines. Maybe I've just left someone out, but, I, but there's certainly not many of us. And, and we knew each other and we had a chat and we, we asked each other, is there anything that we can do that materially adds to the huge, well-funded effort that was already going on around the world? And we thought, well, yes because there were so many unknowns. We just didn't know how easy it would be to make a vaccine. And we didn't know what kind of delivery mechanism would be good for a vaccine. And uh, we identified this uh, New Zealand technology that was developed at uh, Polybatics in, in Palmerston North that actually lent itself quite well for a vaccine delivery mechanism that was different from what everybody else was doing. So we said, well, let, here is a technology that nobody else is using. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not good, but let's try it to see if it's going to uh, be able to produce, you know, good immune responses to, uh, to, to COVID-19. And at least it's something different from what everybody else is doing. There's no point in repeating what somebody else is doing because whatever we do here is not going to be as well funded as some of the other, other projects around the world. And your point there that, you know, we, we didn't know how scared we, we should be. Yeah, I, I, I really agree with that idea that, you know, we are forgetting just how ignorant we were. And, you know, now it's just, of course, there's a vaccine and people are being, you know, sceptical and idiots about it. But in, at the time, um, I remember doing some breeding around it. And, you know, there was a very real chance that it wouldn't be possible to get a uh, a vaccine, right? Is, is that right? Like, just help, help us contextualise, like, just how much of a breakthrough some of these vaccines are. I thought it was pretty likely we'd get a vaccine. What was, was unclear in my mind was how effective it would be or how long it would last for. But I thought we would be able to induce some sort of immune response because nature produces an immune response. You know, people who get coronaviruses become immune. They don't always stay immune for that long, but they become immune. So if nature can do it by itself, then we can emulate that. So I thought there would be a vaccine. What was completely unclear was how efficacious that vaccine would be. Uh, I think what has been extraordinary is the speed with which we have developed a product that is now being used you know, around the world. That, you know, that has never happened before. And as humankind should be, should be proud of itself for, for, for achieving that. Yeah. And how about the new kind of class of vaccine, which, um, but wait, maybe first up kind of like the traditional vaccine of, of exposing something to a small amount so it can build its own resistance. That's not the uh, approach taken by the big kind of um, Pfizer and uh, Moderna uh, vaccines, amongst others, is it? What's the difference in that new approach, or, or is it is it entirely new? Well, it's not entirely new because that that technology was being developed, but it was in the process of being developed. It had never been used in an approved vaccine. There were signs that that approach would work, but we didn't have any products using this technology called mRNA. So it was kind of experimental. 
it happens to work extremely well. We found that out pretty quickly, amazingly well. And one can understand the theory of why that's the so, but until you try something, you just don't know how effective it's going to be and, and whether there's going to be some horrible side effect or not. But it turns out that it's both incredibly safe and, and, and wonderfully efficacious. Um, but there are lots of, you know, there, are, there isn't one form of vaccine. We have you know, the, the oldest type of vaccine are either using germs that are closely related to the disease we're trying to uh, prevent. And the first vaccine ever, the smallpox vaccine, uh, was one of those. We generally used a cowpox, which is a close relation, but doesn't actually cause bad disease in humans. But there was a kind of immunological cross-reaction. The next uh, kind of series of vaccines were dead vaccines. So you get a, a germ, you make sure you kill it, and then you inject it, and the body sees it. You know, it, it's not quite the same as a live one, but there's enough bits on the, in there for the body to recognize, and, and, and that was the kind of next stage. Then the stage after that was what's called live attenuated, which may be better termed as munted. So you, what you get is you get a sort of normal, normal germ and you munt it. You, so it's not quite dead, but it's got a very bad headache uh, and it doesn't do its job properly, but it's still kind of vaguely alive. And there's quite a few of those vaccines and we give them and uh, the body goes, oh, look, there's a live vaccine, you know, a live germ, but actually the germ is, is, has almost had it. So again, it doesn't cause disease, but... Uh, and, and then the next generation is what's called subunits, where we, we look at the germ and then we just take little bits of it. And uh, this is you know, the whooping cough, the pertussis vaccine is one of those where it's actually sort of five different bits of the germ that we just make independently and put that in a vaccine. So it's not the whole germ anymore. It's just little bits of the germ. And then that has gone on to all sorts of iterations where bits of the germ are delivered in various ways. And that's what we're seeing now with uh, most of the candidates that are being used. The bits of the germ, in this case, the SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 virus, uh, you know, scientists take bits of that and put it either into a completely irrelevant virus or they put it into this genetic material, the mRNA, and uh, deliver these bits by various mechanisms. And that, when you mentioned before that, you know, that the, the body can see, what is the kind of role of the kind of the, the spatial recognition of um, the shapes around, you know, the, the corona shapes around the um, COVID-19 virus? And yeah, how, 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 what's the breakthrough with the mRNA in helping the body recognise that? So, I mean, the, the immune system takes a deconstructed approach. So whenever it sees a germ or a bit of a germ, it pulls it to pieces, basically. And then the immune response is always to smaller bits of the germ, never the whole germ. And the way the mRNA works is that this is a genetic code. So we put the code of the, a part of the, the, the COVID-19 virus called the spike protein into this mRNA coding. And then that is wrapped up in a kind of uh, fatty, sort of lipid, fatty kind of coating, and it's injected. That makes its way into cells, human cells, when it's been injected in locally. Uh, and then the genetic code instructs those cells to make this spike protein. And so the spike protein is produced not in a factory like in the olden days, but actually the body is used as a factory. Uh, and this spike protein is made, and then the immune system goes, 
what's that doing there? That's not part of me. That's foreign. I'm going to react to it. And that's what happens. And it reacts very nicely to it. Wow. And that kind of uh, ability to uh, program cells to produce things that are kind of alien to, to them, is that, you know, what are the other applications of that? What are the potential other applications? Or is it too early to, to well, know? Well, cases? I mean, there are some fairly obvious ones. Um, and these were being developed anywhere, as I say, because up until COVID-19, these were experimental. And front runners were vaccines to treat cancer. Uh, and then there were other infectious disease vaccines uh, that were uh, also being developed. And how exciting is it that, you know, I mean, how long were the timeframes before uh, for this likely to be, uh, you, you know, an, for wide usage? And and how fast has, have things been moved forwards? Oh, I mean, it's, it's just extraordinary, as I said earlier, um, you know, You'd expect you know, development times of one to two decades in the olden days. And here, within a year, we're injecting people from, from just learning about the virus. And that is extraordinary. And, and it's required a lot of different steps. You know, money, you know, there was a huge amount of money that went into it. And that, of course, made a, a, a huge difference. Um, uh, but also the whole regulatory side. And regulation is really important. It makes it, it's an absolutely essential framework which every country has to make sure that what we what we give as therapeutics and including vaccines are actually safe. You know, having been through that process again and again, it really is very very stringent. But up until COVID nineteen, it has always been a, a kind of a serial process where you find out certain things and then you send it to the regulatory authority and they have to think about it and they come back to you and then you have to do a whole lot more steps and then you get back again and then finally after some clinical trials and everything you get you get to approval uh, and what happened with COVID-19 that it became much more sort of parallel approach where you say right you know we're doing this and we know this now but these are these are in process, and if this works, will you be okay? And all of a sudden, the whole regulatory process has sped, sped up enormously, and that's allowed us to uh, get approvals, even if they're provisional approvals, approvals to, to allow the use of the vaccine. Kia ora, I'm Sophie. And I'm Simon. And I'm Alice, and together we host the spin-off's food podcast, Dietary Requirements. Join us each month as we explore a vast culinary landscape. From the gourmet Ooh la la. to your more hearty tucker. Kiwi onion dip, anyone? Everything's on the table in Dietary Requirements. Subscribe wherever you listen to all your other favourite podcasts. And so when you started uh, the CBC company to, to try and take a bit of a different approach, you, you started with, with two approaches, didn't you? And then we, you yeah. were surprised by the speed with which the... the the developments happened overseas. I don't know if we were that surprised, but again, we didn't. We didn't. What we mm. were surprised about, well, I said, what we were all surprised about, certainly me, mm. was was actually the degree of efficacy of the mRNA vaccines, which were the first ones to read out. Yes, we started with two programs, and the first program was to do exactly what everybody else was doing, but with our different delivery systems. So I talked about isolating this spike protein, which is from the coronavirus. If you've seen pictures of the coronavirus, it's a sort of round ball with things with sort of spiky stuff sticking out that spike is that the spike protein the the thing you see on all the all the little graphics uh, and we took the spike protein and the idea was to put that onto these uh, biodegradable bio beads which were the 
technology coming out of Palmerston North and polybatics. And that was to achieve the same thing that everyone else was trying to achieve. But also at the very beginning, and this was primarily my concern, is that I was uh, concerned that we would see what's called escape mutants. So one of my worries was that everybody, including our first approach, was using one bit of the virus. And every, every type of life form, including viruses, always try to work around any objects that are in their way. So if you have an immune response to a spike protein, the, the virus will evolve, if, if it can, uh, to get around that. And that's, and that's what I'm calling escape and what we now call variants. <laughs> um, and I was always worried that that would happen. And so we developed another parallel approach, and that was to take all sorts of bits of, of the virus, um, not just the spike protein, but various other bits as well, and package them up into a, a rather more complicated type of vaccine called a, a cytotoxic T-cell vaccine. And, and that's designed to do something a little different from produce these neutralizing antibodies, uh, which seems to be the main mechanism for all the other vaccines. Um, and this type of immune approach is actually harder in a lot of different ways. But what it aims to do is rather than to prevent the virus entering a cell in the first place and sort of blocking its entry, uh, which is what these neutralizing antibodies do, this approach is designed to recognize specifically just cells that are infected with the COVID-19 virus and deactivate and kill those cells only. And that's cyto, cyto means cell and toxic means, you know, toxic kills. So, so we're trying to specifically wipe out those cells that get infected with uh, the COVID-19 virus. Uh, and, uh, and as I say, that was specifically because I was always concerned that we would see the virus trying to get around the approach that everybody's using at the moment. And how have things been going for you uh, in, in, in the development of, of that, um, that other approach. Yeah, so we, so we started in April and May, and we were doing this spike protein thing. And then in kind of November of last year, the results came out from the mRNA, the Moderna one first, and we thought, wow, that's fantastic. We don't need to, to move forward on that anymore. So we actually immediately stopped that program. We thought, well, the biobeads were a nice idea. <laughs> Uh, maybe they would work, maybe they won't, but something else already works. Let's, let, that, that's fine. So that nut is cracked. Um, but we remained concerned, and we still didn't see the variants at that stage, but we were still concerned that the, the variants would happen. So we continued with the uh, what's called the cytotoxic T-cell approach, and we kind of broadened the program a bit. So we said, well, we've got these biobeads, so we'll try those, but we'll also try you know, the same type of vaccine without biobeads, and we'll just find out what works best. Yeah, so uh, that's what we're doing at the moment. So uh, hopefully... By, you know, within the next six months, we're going to have quite a lot of data which will show us whether or not uh, we are seeing a good uh, T-cell response. First up, talk us through the, um, what the biobeads are and what, what they do. What, what's the new thing there? So it's, it's quite neat. Um, you, you always want to deliver your vaccine in a way that tickles up the immune response as much as possible. And one way of doing that is to administer your whatever vaccine you're doing in, in a form that the body thinks is a virus, because 
bodies, you know, we, our immune systems are designed to detect viruses. And so if it sees a little round particle of virus size with the repetitive nature of something on that side, it says, oh, that's, uh, that's something foreign, I need to react strongly to that. So these biobeads are actually produced spontaneously in bacteria. And they are about the size of a large virus. And what's neat is that you can program a bacteria to produce not only these little biobeads, and I'll say what they're made of in a minute, uh, but uh, they are automatically coated in whatever we tell them, in, in this case, the bit of the COVID-19 virus. So all in one go, the bacteria produces not only this biobead, but also the, the coating of parts of the virus. And we expect, we will find out soon, that the body responds strongly to that. Um, the biobeads themselves are made out of a biodegradable product, which is has actually been used for decades in dissolvable sutures. So we know that it is harmless, that they just dissolve away. Um, so uh, it's quite a neat little system that we do will you, try. Do you feed that material to the bacteria? or No, no, the no, bacteria make it all by themselves. They make it all by themselves. Yeah. Wow, that's remarkable. Yeah. And then in terms of, you, you know, um, and, and the second part of, uh, of the question there is then, yeah, how, how do you go about the testing process? And, you know, at what stage do you get people involved? Or, yeah, how does that track? Yeah, well, kind of people... Once you get people involved, you're talking about spending many, many million, you know, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, and and we don't have those resources. So every, all our testing at the moment is in the laboratory, and that's all underway at the moment. Uh, and what our strategy is is to you know test after test after test and demonstrate. We hope that our approach is actually something that's very sensible and works, and we we want to produce a data package to say look. This is interesting stuff. We, you know, the world needs this because we need to be worried about variants, and this is a solution. And once we've got that data package, uh, I'm going to be approaching people all around the world, companies around the world, and saying, "Look, you know, would you like to uh, acquire this? Would you like to work with us? Would you like to partner? Whatever to move this forward." And hopefully, at that stage, someone is going to say yes, and then we would move forward on that basis, and the funding would come from outside New Zealand. Yeah, and that approach, the cytotoxic T cell approach, um, is is that really a, a unique approach that you're spear, spearheading here? No, it's not. You know, it's not. It's not. You know, um, first of all, you know, some quite conventional vaccines will, you know, will include some sort of cytotoxic T cell approach. Uh, making it deliberately is a relatively new idea. There are people around, we're not the only people doing it. Uh, people are also trying various other, you know, constructs of viruses, but not many. You know, we're actually one of quite a few uh, groups that are, that are doing this approach. And our particular way of doing things is certainly unique. So we'll see. And how does it help with, uh, yeah, tackling these variants? So as the variants um, uh, arise, are you able to then... Um, put that new information in as the kind of um, the things to look for in terms of the, 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 the yeah, the, the kill. Yeah, so, so the whole idea of ours is that we don't need to ch- change a vaccine to cope with these variants because what we're doing is taking a very diverse set of different bits of the virus. So, so we've got the, over 35 different bits of the, of the virus uh, all kind of uh, stuck in our particular right. construct. So even and so it... far, uh, the last time I looked, of all the variants of concern, there's been no mutations in any of our 
little bits so far. But even if there were, there's so many other bits, there's a redundancy there that we're still you know, covering the vast majority of possible variants. So it's a, it's a kind of diversity approach that is supposed to overcome the variants. And it goes back to what my original concern when I say, you know, previously the vaccines are based on one target, whereas our vaccine is based on a whole set of different targets. Yeah, wow. So even as it mutates, there'll still be enough in common that yeah. there'll still be. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, a, a, as an expert in the field, you know, like, do you look at the numbers in places like America and India, you know, and go, oh, boy, there's going to be a lot more uh, variants coming out. Come um, The Spanish flu, where some of the mutations actually meant that it was less lethal and uh, less of a concern. Well, you just don't know. Yeah. You, know? Um, it, you just can't predict that so so we'll just have to see so far it seems to be going in the direction of increased infectivity and no decrease certainly no decrease in severity of anything an increase in severity um, maybe more severe disease in younger people but uh, we haven't seen any any signs of lesser disease yet that may happen who knows in terms of building the company around this and how you've managed to to chart it um yeah, has it been uh, easy to get kind of funding and support in this environment, or is it always a, a challenge? Or how do you go you about know, funding, building a funding business is, around this? Funding is never easy. Mm. You know, anyone who says funding is easy is not telling the truth. Um, but we had a, you know, we had it, we were topical. We had a good story, and most of the funds that we have raised have been through private investors. Uh, and I, you know, I cannot sing their praises enough. It's amazing that various uh, Kiwi investors have been willing to uh, to back us with with dollars. Uh, we've raised a total of four point three million dollars from private funds. That's a really significant amount, and that's the only reason we exist, uh, and it's the only reason we can move forward. And it's the you know it's the reason that we will get to the point where we can say whether or not our, our ideas work or not. Uh, so never easy, but you know the people backing uh, COVID nineteen vaccine corporation are just extraordinary. So I cannot thank them enough. And, and four point three million, uh, I imagine, is a very small fund in the scheme of other virus uh, vaccine production efforts. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And you know we try and be as efficient as possible. And you know, if we had more funds, we'd be going faster. But uh, you know we've got what we've got. We've got uh, a relatively small amount of government funding as well. You know we're up to about five million in total. So as I say, primarily uh, privately funded. And uh, we'll see how we go. Yeah, it must be a very interesting time to be an expert in the vaccine area. Well, I love it. You know, I really love it. It's you know, it's the my it's it's my it's my medical background. It's my my scientific background. It's my commercial background. So it sort of pulls it all together, and I I kind of feel I know the field. So uh, it, it's a very comfortable place for me to be. It's also challenging. You know, every day. You know, I don't know how much you can imagine this, but you know, when you're on the edge of science, which is where we are, there are always problems. And uh, finding finding the right people to do each step is always challenging. Sometimes we can manage to find experts in New Zealand to help us. Uh, sometimes we have to go overseas. Um, and sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes things get stuck in 
customs, you know, and all sorts of little trivial things sometimes can sort of mess you about. Uh, you know, maybe we can't. We, we we do have glass vials, but sourcing the glass vials was a problem for a while, and 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 so uh, all sorts of uh, challenges. Uh, some trivial, as I say, like you know the customs. Uh, others really technical challenges. We suddenly find something. Like, How on earth do we do this or or solve this technical problem? But always we do in the end and I like doing I like I like those challenges uh, and, and a place where decades are happening and years must be um, extremely stimulating oh yeah oh yeah I mean yes I, I, I'm very happy to be doing this it's not not without effort but but uh, <laughs> there is a reward to it as well you know and I you know I want to be straight I don't know whether what we're doing is going to work at the moment uh, there's a good theory as to why it will work the science is sound but until you try it you don't know it might just not be good enough there might be something we haven't thought of yet so it's always um you know in the next six months is going to be quite uh, interesting because we're actually going to get some readout so we'll we'll see how that goes of course i hope it's going to be fantastic yeah, and you've put, I mean, put the, the chair of your company, uh, the managing director of Douglas Pharmaceuticals. That's another great New Zealand success story that, you know, it's, it's quite little known here, I think, that we have um, a big pharmaceutical player uh, working domestically. We do. We actually have two. Yeah. New Zealand certainly punches above its weight uh, for, uh, you know, for in, in the pharmaceutical field. So uh, what is unique about Douglas Pharmaceuticals is that it does all its own manufacturing mm. or uh, I don't know if it's all, but certainly they have a major manufacturing plant and uh, here in Auckland. And that is, uh, you know, amazing. And it's also amazing that uh, Jeff Douglas, who is the uh, managing director of Douglas Pharmaceuticals, uh, has been willing to, to be our chair. I always try and surround myself with people who really know the field and what they're doing and uh, Jeff Douglas certainly does and it's an honour to have him on board. And what will, as a, as a kind of final question that we always ask, like to ask everyone, what will success be for you personally and also what will success be for you with CVC? So success is if I see a construct or a deliver- derivative of the construct that we are you know, working on right now being injected into humans, that is success for me you know, and, and, and it working. That would be extraordinary. And uh, we shall see. That's magic. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Robert Feldman, the CEO and founder of uh, CBC, uh, for joining us today to share the story. And yeah, really excited to see where you go next. Pleasure of being here. Thank you very much to Tina Tiller for producing. And thank you very much for having us along and listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. 
Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.